All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here tonight. This is a class thinking about our genuine, true, God-given identity as God's image bearers. Uh, I think part of what you've heard so far is that uh, our identity is a great gift, uh, not a task. Let me say a brief prayer that I'm going to ask you to tell me what you've been learning uh, there are more little sheets over there. If I have one? Uh, in that corner, if you need one, uh, grab it. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, telling us who we are, giving us so many gifts. Would you grant us, through the Spirit, along with all your manifold gifts, deep gratitude for your gifts. Joy in your presence as your people together, even tonight as we think about your gift of work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so just quickly tell me, summarize for me a couple things you've learned, uh, main takeaways from weeks one and two. And impress Scott as you do so. <clears throat> Slow down. That's too much. I can't. I can't process all that. Always be patient and gracious as, as to allow God's timing to be God's timing, not our timing. I'm not telling you to tell us what Jennifer's been saying to you at home, Charlie. <laughs> I want to know. Just kidding. <laughs> um, all right. Good. What else? What are you hearing in here? Mm. Yeah, sometimes we deny uh, our true humanity, but thankfully we have a gracious agent of creation, sustainer of all things, including our very existence and our actual embodied humanity. What a gift and what a sustainer, right? I mean, so great. Um, The eternal Son of God was holding uh, Eve's arm together as she grabbed forbidden fruit. Um, et cetera, et cetera. All right. <clears throat> Anything else? Big picture? Digging insight? He said, Scott said it again last week. And I know he said it the first week that uh, this idea I thought was pretty interesting that when it comes to genders, there's a sense that Adam was not truly human mm. until Eve. Oh. The, the distinction between the genders and that, mm. that distinction allowed you know, allow Adam to fully realize his humanity. Yeah, a sense of completion, awareness. Um, yeah, uh, otherness is a gift, <laughs> even in terms of like uh, self-awareness in some really significant ways. Um, that's all great. Uh, we, we Something about uh, being co-opted by sin and even particularly the patterns that are throbbing through our culture uh, there's a there's a sneaky idea that the other is only enemy, which is such a sad way to view the world. Uh, the world's full of diverse gifts, and otherness uh, is a great gift. Um, and distinction and limit things like distinctions and limits are actually gifts. And you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Um, we'll learn that the the various boundaries and distinctions. Uh, and limits that are n- n- uh, 
part of what it be, means to be human are, are some, of the, some of the very defining aspects of what it means to be to have existence as a gift. Um, so in other words, if you, if you imagine yourself as infinite, um, that would be one reason you're exhausted. <laughs> but if you, if you recognize your finitude as a great gift from God, you can rest because uh, you're not responsible for everything. Um, and it actually helps you delineate r- true responsibility versus a false sense of over-responsibility or a false sense of irresponsibility or under-responsibility. All right, well, tonight we're going to think about work as a gift. There are some quotes on the front of your uh, page. I'm not going to read them. <coughs> I find them interesting. They all emerge from Dorothy Sayers, <coughs> uh, Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis <coughs> around 1942, which is really interesting. They were thinking... Clear, uh, heavily about the meaning of work and the meaning of personhood when uh, an enormous world war was emerging <laughs> in their soil. I find that fascinating, but you can read those in your own time. Um, but we're going to do some math. Uh, some of you thought there would be no math included in this uh, course, um, but unfortunately there is. So turn over on that second sheet of paper. <coughs> so here's the simple math. Um, if you work 40 hours a week, now t- uh, let me back up. Tonight we're thinking about vocations, but I'm going to hone in on that vocation, which is your, your, that, that work which you do um, for which you get paid. There's a lot of really important work we all do. Um, I don't think Charlie pays Jennifer to be married to him, um, but, she, but being a wife is actually very important work and being a husband is very important work actually my parents did your parents did yeah 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 <laughs> is that contract no kid um but it, and uh no one pays you to parent children if you have children um and so there's a lot of very important roles that we play and these are all callings from god uh they're vocations in that sense but tonight we're going to just focus on the vocation of, of work itself. Um, and so just for a minute, I want you to think about your career, your actual career. So <clears throat> if you work 40 hours a week times, times 48 weeks out of the year. Now, all about you, my first decade of work, I didn't get four weeks of vacation. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of people never get four weeks of vacation. But... Just to have round numbers, 40 hours a week times 48 weeks is 1,920 hours of work. And if the average career is 42 years long, then 1,920 hours times 42 years is 80,640 hours. Okay? So a lot of people's career is going to be north of 80,000 hours. And so a simple question is, does God care about what you do with 80,000 hours of your life? Probably so, you know. And so um, flip over to the right side of the column. I want you to just put your hours in there. So what I wrote down for myself is I never work less than 54 hours. And if my wife saw 54 hours on the sheet of paper, she would laugh in my face or slap me. Because I don't. Uh, I, I often work north of 54 hours in a work week and she knows it and I know it and I did put 48 hours a week because at this stage of my life I do get four weeks of vacation I'm very thankful for that so for me that's 2,592 hours of work a year okay 
So you, you do your math there real quickly. How many hours do you, do you average of work per week? <clears throat> Be inclusive. Um, so most of us take work home these days. Some of us work from home all the time. But so how many, how many hours do you actually work? And then do it times how many weeks? And, and maybe average it out. So when you were 21 or 22 and you were beginning some kind of career up to when you're, whenever you think you might retire from certain types of labors, you know, maybe you'll average 49 hours, 49 weeks a year over that span. So put down whatever is true and then get your, that number times, I did 50 years. So I did not include my college internships. I didn't include, you know, all that kind of, I started my first paid job. I was 12 years old. I was uh, wiping down tables and dropping fries because I wanted to earn money to go play asteroids at the new arcade that opened up in Memphis near Elvis Presley's house. So, um, and, uh, that's really true. Uh, and, um, so I didn't include any of that. I, I started with after college, um, and I think my career will span 50 years. So my total hours doing uh, 2,592 hours a year times 50 is 129,600 hours of my life that will be dedicated to doing my, my work, like this kind of work. So some of you say what your number was. Hours of week times weeks times years. What did you get? What did you get? Paul, what you got back there? It's 100,000 something? 100,000? Oh, yeah. Uh, often, most answers are going to end up between 95 and 110,000 hours. Almost everyone fits in that, in that range. I'm not a high cheater. 100,000 100, hours. That's, that's a lot of hours. <clears throat> what else did you hit? Anybody else get a different number? <clears throat> Anybody? Math is hard. I, I know. What did you get, Brad? <laughs> Mine's hard to calculate, really. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I actually only got 60,000 hours. Okay. Maybe I need to work harder. Some people are, some people are really efficient. You know? <laughs> retire. 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 Yeah, I mean, I, if I'm doing this in 15 years, somebody come find me. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody do it? What did you got? Steve, did you do it? No. You did not do it, okay. <laughs> Thou shalt not lie is a... Uh, <laughs> it's also, I mean, it's, that's vocational work, but it's not, I mean... It's not all of the work. It's not all the work. It no. Is, it would discount those who work in ways that aren't professional or vocational. That's right. Which is still that's right. what we're called to do. That's exactly right. And, and in this tonight, I'm not going to be talking about the vocational work of parenting because that's going to come up later in this class. I'm not going to. I'm going to make one reference to gardening. You know, so like making your home and tending your garden. That's actually good work that a lot of us spend a lot of time. And I'm just like I'm siphoning that off for tonight's purposes. But, but we all do a lot of work that I'm not counting tonight. I'm just focusing on the professional work that we do. Um, for a reason. Um, so my contention is God does care about the 129,000 hours I'll do as a, as a professional. Um, and also, um, a simple way to think about my work life is I'm called to love God and my neighbor 
with the whole of who I am and all that I do. And it's illegitimate to separate loving God and loving my neighbor from any aspect of my life. Because I'm never not God's image bearer. And I'm never not in God's creation. And there aren't any any aspects of God's created life that he doesn't care about. Right? And so if this is God's creation and I can never escape God's creation, and if I'm made in God's image and the, the point of my existence is to reflect the glory of God and enjoy and embody the glory of God, if that's what it means to be human, then there's not a, pl- a time or a place or a work that I can do that doesn't matter to God. Does that make sense? So that'll be a theme throughout kind of everything that you do. So go ahead and flip over to where you start counting pages. So page one, um, let me just talk to you about some common views of of our work lives just for a minute. Um, So here's what a lot of us believe. And we've been taught it. And we've been uh, trained to think the left side column of page one in a lot of pretty sophisticated ways. So here, here's what we've been taught quite a bit. Work is neutral at best or a necessary evil. The Greek philosophers thought this. This was essentially what Aristotle thought about work. Um, and there's a lot more to say there, but we don't have that much time. So if I believe that work is neutral or at best a necessary evil, I could be committed to Christ because I'm a Christian at work, but not necessarily to the work itself. Because work isn't something that God actually cares about. God cares about me and my heart. And he cares about what the words I say and my attitudes. But if work is something that's kind of neutral or at worst drudgery or necessary evil, then God doesn't care about the actual work that I do. What he cares about is my heart and my relationships, but not the actual work. Um, And so... If you think about from that perspective the intrinsic value of work, so today I want to make, tonight I want to make a distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic value of work. On this view that work's the necessary evil, what's the intrinsic value of work? Kind of hard to articulate. Futile. <laughs> it's futile, right? The work itself doesn't really have much of a point. The point of almost all of the point of work is extrinsic, which is okay, right? So here, the extrinsic value of work. Sorry, Dave. Just so stay behind the microphone. Um, the extrinsic values of work are things like I can earn a living, support myself, support my family, right? Um, if I'm a Christian, one of the extrinsic values of work is it's, it's a platform. I go to work. Other people go to work. So it's kind of a natural place to meet people and tell people about Jesus. Um, work, mostly because it's miserable and suffering, is a place of personal growth. Right? I can grow. I can, I can meet challenges. Um, work can produce wealth. And if work produces wealth and I'm a Christian, I know being generous is good. And there are lots of good things to give to, so I can be generous. Right? And then I can give to, quote-unquote, kingdom ventures, which can't be what I'm doing, but it, it, it has to be other things like given to my church, um, given to missions, 
um, maybe being generous to the poor. And all those intrinsic values are things that you, you and I should care about. I just want us to notice that on this side, the left side of the column, there aren't any intrinsic values to work itself. Which would mean if I'm Steve and I'm a doctor, there's not an intrinsic value of being committed to public health, which is really crazy. Of course, there's a lot of intrinsic value to um, the health of individuals and public health, et cetera. Um, and so maybe in a minute we'll talk about some of those other kinds of jobs we do and think through the intrinsic value of our work. So on the, I'm going to contend that on all of my pages, well, the first two pages, the left side of the page are the goats and the right side of the sheep. So <laughs> I'm going to argue for the right side of the page. Uh, it, it changes your perspective on work if the creation is good, if, if being a human is good, and if work is good and fits God's plan for his creation, his creation order. By the way, go back down to the bottom of, on the left-hand column. If work is neutral or a necessary evil, it's, it's, it's significant to think about what story does work fit in our culture in general. When I think about my work life, my career, my salary, my benefits, uh, my promotions, what story do I believe is the most fundamental story that makes sense of the work that I do? And this might be one of the places where you can really see the things that Scott has been opening up the last two weeks. So it might be that when we think about work, we think that what, what we're living in the story of personal progress. We're living in the story of Western individualism. I'm essentially a cosmic orphan, and, I, and my, my unstated job as a cosmic orphan is to establish my significance. So my identity and my significance are tasks, not gifts. If my significance and identity is a gift from God, then work is a way to express who I am. But if my identity and significance are not gifts from God and I'm a cosmic orphan, then my work might fit the story of establishing my own significance. So that it's a project. My identity, I conceive of my identity as a project. And it's all up to me competitively, individually and competitively, to have a better identity than yours. Does that sound like a deeply hopeful, generous, and Christian way to view myself? It doesn't, but it also sounds really, really familiar. It's the native language of our hearts and our culture. It's a native language. It's actually foreign to our true heart. Anyway, okay. Um, so I might think the story that my work life fits is image acquisition, power acquisition, security. Um, and if I have any religious view about work, I'm kind of taking on those alien ideas and I'm just going to baptize them, right? Work is all that stuff, but I'm going to sprinkle some Jesus on it, <laughs> right? I'm going to throw a couple 
I'm going to do some spiritual things every now and then. Uh, but on the, on the right side, work is good and it fits God's plan for his creation, his creation order. If I believe that, you can put quotes around, I'm committed to my work in Christ. Not just committed to Christ at work, but I'm actually committed to my work in Christ, who's sustaining my existence and is my redeemer, um, who's filling me with strength and grace to do good things. Um, and it's possible to discover specific and particular callings, um, like parenthood, um, like neighborliness, um, and maybe other ones too. One way to think about uh, uh, we all are called uh, to live out our identity as image bearers, and we're all called uh, in Christ um, to live as disciples of King Jesus. Uh, we're all we're all called. Uh, our prayer, the heart of our prayer life is our Father who art in heaven. The the point of our existence is the hallowing of your name, your glory. What does that mean? We want your kingdom to come on earth. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want your heavenly ways to permeate and all the all that we do. Right? That's like the heart of our prayer life, according to Jesus. So that's big C calling. The, the point of my existence is to see the kingdom of God permeate this created reality, according to Jesus, teaching us to pray. But under our big C... There's all these little C's. And this is what Steve was talking about earlier and why he refused to follow instructions. And, you know, um, but there's a ton of small C callings, right? There's a ton of them. And all of these are ways that we're called by God to live out this big calling, to honor God in all of life, to reflect and embody and enjoy his glory in all things, and to see that his gracious heavenly rule come to earth in all kinds of ways, which is, that's the end of the story. Right? Um, heaven and earth. Uh, so, you know, if I'm married, my marriage is a covenantal calling. And if I have parent, if I have children, um, I'm raising covenant children. It's a covenantal calling if I have children. Um, and matter of fact, if I'm a member of a church, I have a covenantal calling to invest in the nurture of all kinds of children, even if, I, if I've never been married and if I've never had kids, because I'm part of a covenant community that takes the children through the generation seriously. So these are all callings. Tonight, we're just focused on one of those callings. And all the, this is all work that flows out of Genesis 1 and 2, marriage, having children, right? But tonight, we're focusing on that one small C calling uh, that's like when we roll up our sleeves and dig in soil, and, and cultivate God's good creation in particular ways. Um, if we think well about what it means to be a married person, what it means to bring children into the world, and also what it means to raise people created by God to do good work, it all starts kind of flowing together in some ways that really ground us in reality. Right? Like in real concrete realities. Um, it'll help us if... We raise really, really gifted children who have deep joy and great gifts to do certain things that the market doesn't recognize as awesome. You know, a, a culture that thinks uh, paying people that can jump high and dunk basketballs uh, 
500 times more than people that teach children is not a super wise culture. So that's interesting. Anyway, okay. Um, so what, intrinsic value of work on this side of the page, page one, is to understand that our work, our actual daily work, participates in God's plan for all things. So God cares about me, my neighbors, his creation, and its development comprehensively. So God's pro-cultivation, the, the creative creator God is pro-cultivation, pro-creativity, pro-work. Pro uh, has anyone that God created, which would include all people, has anyone ever been more pro-wealth than the creator God? Nope. <laughs> God is massively pro-wealth. He's just anti-every idol. But God's superlatively pro-wealth. Um, God's pro-cultivation. God's greatly in favor of technolo technological advancement. Creativity. When, when people soar with wisdom and, and innovate and create new things uh, that cultivate the good creation, uh, this is, gives our creator joy. Uh, like, for instance, if we, we're not using the screen tonight, um, I like screens. Um, I don't always like them, but they're, they're good for some purposes. But one reason our technology on screens has gotten so much better, so clear, is that we studied the eyes, the vision of mantis shrimp. So these, these tiny little shrimp that live these crustaceans that crawl around and eat junk at the bottom of the ocean, they have unbelievable eyesight. And they see all kinds of colors um, and uh, distinctions that our eyes can't see. And by studying them, we've actually greatly enhanced our ability to make uh, great uh, visual screens. And so I'm saying God loves that. God intended for that kind of cultivation. So when we, when we think about creation... And God's delight in creation and the goodness of creation, sometimes we think all of that is like Yellowstone. You know, like, like God's vision for his creation is, is Yellowstone. But the biblical story begins in a garden and ends in a city. And that city is the city of God and it's very cultivated and it's super rich. So God's, God's in favor of all those things. As a matter of fact, God is fit. God's has filled his creation with all kinds of good gifts. As a matter of fact, there's everyone in this room, as far as I know, by your confession, believes in Jesus. There are people all around the globe who have no interest in Jesus, who have profound gifts from God, who are doing really good work that God wants them to do. He's filling the world with his goodness and his grace and helping people. He's fully sustaining people doing very good work that's bringing things about that he always intended. Some of them know him, some of them don't. But God rejoices in that because God's a God of creativity and strength and power and generosity. Does that make sense? Questions about, about that? Just big, big picture. The, the, the work that you're doing fits God's plan for his whole creation. Um, and look real quickly, look at the extrinsic values on this side. It's the same list. So, of course, it's great that you earn a living. 
that you support yourself and your family. That's awesome. Of course, work's a place where you can talk about Jesus, though a lot of times you probably shouldn't. Um, Of course, work is a place that uh, enhances your growth, uh, and often through suffering, (laughs) through the brokenness and difficulty of work. Um, Work often, because God's creation order is good and God has blessed his creation order, work often produces wealth. Wealth is not a bad thing and then afford you to be generous. And then if you give, on this perspective, you can give to other kingdom ventures. Because if you exist to enjoy and embody the glory of God in all things, then your daily work is a kingdom venture. So that's a unique view of spirituality, which we'll get to. Okay, so at the bottom of page one, God who is eternal is more important than his creation. Romans 1, you should worship God and not the creature. But the creation is also good. Biblical pictures of of eternity include human and non-human physicality in God's presence. The resurrection of the body is something we believe in. Like we believe in uh, uh, the new heavens and new earth where the righteous dwell as embodied creatures, new creation embodied creatures. So then you can say, what story does my work fit if I believe all this? And my story fits, my my work fits the story that God's telling us, which you can summarize at 40,000 feet is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Um, And so you can read those words there. Flip over. Let's do this. So page two, here's how most of us were taught to think about life. A profound dualism. My spiritual life is over here in a closet, and the rest of life is over there, sealed off from it. Okay? Uh, We don't live in the Bible belt. We live in the buckle of the Bible belt. And that's a this is a profound belief that permeates how we view ourselves and our relationship to the world. Um, I don't like it, but it's everywhere. Uh, This makes your quote unquote spiritual life. Very important, potentially, um, but separate from the rest of life. Loving God is disconnected from daily work unless I'm loving him spiritually at work, but not as part of my work. So what I want to contend for is the other side. Once again, goats on the left, sheep on the right. Um, you're, and, and by spiritual life, putting it in, the, in that central circle, I'm not separating it. I'm trying to demonstrate here with a simple drawing that you're that your spirituality is the core of who you are, permeates all that you are all the time as an embodied person that lives in time and space. Right? And here's simply what I mean. You can never escape that you live in God's creation. He claims all of it. And you can never turn off, "I'm, I'm made in God's image. Where can you go? and escape God's presence. If I, get, if I had the lung capacity and the muscles to go to the highest mountain in the Himalayas, I can't escape God's presence. If I can use great technology and get to the deepest part of the ocean, I can't escape God's presence. If I go to a brothel in India to rescue 11-year-old girls from sex slavery, I am not doing that outside of God's presence. God is there, right? If I'm on a screen in a very dark place, hidden, 
engaging in the practices to promote sex slavery, I'm not outside of God's presence. There's no place where I'm not in the presence of God. And there's no place where I'm not God's image bearer. Now, there are times that I'm not owning the fact that I bear the image of God. There are times that I am uh, lying about the glory of God or distorting who God is by my attitude, words, actions. But I'm not, not God's image bearer. I'm just living in contradiction to who I am as God's gift, as one who is made in his image. That makes sense. If there are places you can go and not be in God's creation and times you can not be God's image bearer, then there might be some neutral space. But if this is God's creation and you were made in God's image, there's no neutral space or time. So you're always being more or less faithful to God. That may sound like a lot of pressure. Actually, I think it's the most freeing. It's like super freeing. But well, Scott and Dave will be opening that more and more. Right side of the column, you, the, your spirituality is the core of who you are. You're, you are made in God's image. Um, this permeates every relationship. And this goes back to Steve's point, who resisted to follow my leadership. Just kidding. This goes to Steve's point is that in every relationship, I have callings from God. Right? I'm called to be Chrissy's husband. I'm called to... Uh, influence my children and their children. Um, I'm called uh, into a pastoral vocation. I'm called into neighborliness. I'm called into homemaking. Um, I'm, I'm, I have all these various callings, right? And, and those are all relationships. And in all of those callings, I'm relating to God and myself and others in God's creation. And I can't turn any of those relationships off. Okay. Um, and so what I want to say is that permeates into, because of all that, it permeates into all daily work, all types of it. So down below, this means your spiritual life is exceedingly important necessarily because it's the core of who you are. It permeates all that you are. It does not separate religion from normal, mundane, embodied life. It doesn't mean there aren't spiritual things to do that are uniquely spiritual so you're, you're not taking the Lord's Supper every time you eat a meal. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, where he says really important things about the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So it's not hard for Paul to say, Hey, the way you're practicing the supper, that's not, that doesn't even count. <laughs> Um, that's not the real thing. And it's not in the very same context, 10, 17, and 18, really profound things about the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, 1 through 14, more than that, really profound things about the Supper, 12th and following. 1031, hey, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, which is a great summary of what I'm trying to say. Um, think about this. What, if, if you were to think of a Bible verse, what's the most basic Biblical definition of sin. Romans 3.23. <laughs> yeah. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. So for people like Scott and me, we think of that, that chi is exegetical. The and there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not saying we've all done two things. We've sinned and we've also fallen short of God's glory. What, what Paul's saying there with that, that copulative, the thing that pulls that sentence together, we've all sinned. And what do we mean by sin? We've fallen short of the glory of God. So in, and this is one of those cases where sin really does mean missing the mark. What Paul's saying after Romans 1 and Romans 3.23 is we've all missed the point of being human. We worship the create creation rather than the creator. The, the target, the, the absolute point of being human is that Aaron's life is aimed at the glory of God. He exists for God's glory. And like me, we've all been misaimed. Right? And that's not about a part of your life. That's about the whole of your life. That's the main thing I'm saying about work. Um, so daily work, to make Steve's point for him one more time, at home, in the garden, at one's computer, office, or school, provides arenas to love God as his servants and our neighbors, discerning God's will, his good and wise ways in all of life. So there's some passages that say things like that. All right, page three. You have, you have a pen or a pencil? Let's draw. <laughs> so uh, this creation order drawing on page three um, Ignore that there's a symbol there. I'm just reminding us that we believe in one triune God. And the one triune God uh, is the creator and sustainer of all things. So draw a line from that triangle down to that circle. But don't go all the way to the circle. So like this. See my little line there? Okay, what I'll do. I'll draw. So there's God, the triune God. And he created all things. Alright, so there's your little arrow. This is like very simple. And then, if you will, write humanity here. And I'm going to do something really corny. Note humanity's not here. We're part of God's creation. And I'm going to turn my A into a heart to make a point. Sorry about that. You're not 11-year-old girls, and I'm not trying to be sentimental. Um... But in God's creation order from Genesis 1 and 2, whatever rules the heart of humanity, by God's creation order does what? Whatever rules the heart of humanity, by God's creation order, what does it do? Does it pool? In humanity, what do you think? I'll, 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 we'll go this way. Uh, God created all things, uh, created spheres, filled the spheres with living things, created humans in His image to rule over all things, and God blessed humanity. Right. So God's blessing rests on humanity in a particular way. God's creation order. Right. And what did God command? God blessed us and, and told us what we are. We're made in his image. And then what, was, what are God's commands there? Right there in Genesis 1, 26, 28. Exercise dominion. Yes. And right before dominion, that's exactly right. Right before that, what, what's the command? 
Yes. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion, rule. Okay? So God blessed us saying be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So God, humanity here at the beginning is in a garden in a place called Eden. Right? And God wants uh, Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God wants the whole creation to become like the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We know now that Eden was a uh, cosmic temple where the kingdom of God, uh, God and humanity lived together in a unique way. Um, but God says he blessed us, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're made in God's image, right? So if those who reflect God's glory are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, then what's going to spread through humanity will be God's blessing and God's glory because we're going to be fruitful and multiply and move from the garden to the whole creation. So God's creation order basically tells us whatever rules the heart of humanity spreads to everything. Does that make sense? That's God's plan. God says, end of Psalm 72, Isaiah 11, Habakkuk 2, 14, Numbers 14, that God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's God's ultimate plan. The whole creation one day will throb with God's glory and nothing can stop it. That's the ultimate, that's, that's God's plan for his good creation. And God's plan is to spread his glory, his blessing to all things, through humanity. All right? Well, what does, what does humanity do in Genesis 3? Yeah. We rebel against the creator and what's, what ends up in spreading into things. Yeah, the opposite of blessing, curses, right? Uncareful readings of Genesis 3 say that God curses us, but actually ground, the ground is cursed. And uh, you see a lot of pain and misery spread into things. Um, you don't see a human curse. That's interesting. Okay, but this is God's creation order. So that's why I did my cute little... Uh, heart thing, whatever controls the heart of humanity and you never, and this is an embodied person, um, spreads all things. So one of the primary ways that God's blessing and glory is spread, is spread obviously is through human agency and our work is, our work fits God's plan, right? Uh, to spread his blessing and his glory into all things. So I'm going to make, uh, how about this? Who likes to read out loud? Anybody? Sure. Steve, will you read the, the right-hand column? Do what? That's right. Yeah, since you, yes. Will you read the right-hand column? <clears throat> yes, please. Okay. According to the scripture, we are God's royal priesthood. The kings of the ancient Near East set up statues or images of themselves to mark their rule. The images represented the ruler and his right to rule in that place. As God's image bearers, we are living emblems of his rule, living statues of his authority. From God's first creative words, the whole creation is God's kingdom, and we are his vice regents. God has placed us here to rule, serve in his name. Our basic divinely given job descriptions to cultivate yet unimagined potentials within God's good creation. 
goal of our labor, our whole lives, is to manifest God's glory in all things. Creation in scripture is not merely natural life, rather creation in scripture includes disorder. Human imagination is part of God's good design for all things. Our creative development of God's good works is central to God's own definition of creation. From Genesis chapter one, God's description of creation includes humanity, includes humanity, his sub-rulers participating in wise and productive development. And this is a quote. <clears throat> to quote Al Walters. Thank you. All the structures and patterns of society, all the capacities and possibilities of culture, all the relationships and attitudes of our personal lives exist by virtue of God's creative power. Language, sports, art, the family, commerce, and friendship are as much part of the created order as stars and lakes, plants, and animals. All the ordinary activities are made possible and upheld by the creator's almighty power. Thank you. That's all I want you to read. Thank you, Steve. Um, if, if poor widows in Birmingham tonight are praying uh, because their children are hungry, um, how might God answer their prayer? Yeah, through people giving generously, okay? And where did the food in the food bank come from? Donations. Donations. And people, people probably donated food and money, right? Where did the food come from? Farmers. So the food came from people who worked the earth, but how did the food get from the farm to the food bank? A truck driver. Yeah. And did anyone oversee, uh, do, does anyone manage truck drivers? Are there, any, are there any spreadsheets related to the moving of farmed goods through trucks to grocery stores to your cabinet? <laughs> yeah. How much, of that, how much of that work is good work? It's all, it's all good work, right? It, just think about that. The widow who is praying, so she most likely our sister in Christ, living in Midfield or Inslee or Fairfield, is saying, Father, you're good and you're generous and my children are hungry. And I have two and a half jobs, but I can't pay the rent and transportation, and utilities, and do all the things that I need to do. And you know my children. And by my children, she means one child, two grandchildren, a nephew, a niece, a cousin, you know, all the people that she's taken care of, who she's related to in various ways. And God answers the prayer of the widow. And one way he answers the prayer of the widow is the generosity of his people and other people. But one of the ways God answers the prayer of the widow is through the farmer and the trucker and the financial capital that made it possible and the accountant who's paying close attention to significant margins and who's making the trucking more efficient. Right? All that, all that very good work 
um, God celebrates and says is good. And it's also how God feeds the widow. Do you think there's a few verses that says God loves the widow, he cares for the widow, and he makes sure they have enough to eat? There's a, a lot. Another class in there is reading them over and over and over. That's their focus over there. And, and this class tonight is about how God does answers a lot of those prayers. And, and most often it's through the good work of a whole lot of people. Um, and so our lives are filled with good work. Um, think about, um, do you think the financial sector uh, matters in Birmingham? Has, has, has the growth of the financial sector created more jobs or less jobs? Way more. Unbelievable. Matter of fact, one of our biggest problems right now uh, culturally is there's a ton of jobs that we can't fill with workers. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I look at spreadsheets all day, Robbie, this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, stewardship is unbelievably significant from God's perspective. God counts that he knows the numbers on your head. God's a really good accountant. And if you're paying attention to really minute details, that's a very godly activity because you're uh, quantifying all kinds of realities that matter, that represent good work and good value. And God, there's no one who's ever existed who's more pro-value than God. Yeah, what were you going to say, Paul? So I'm sitting on work. Yeah. And it's miserable. Yes. And I hate it. And yes. And I know food's getting to the, to the widows. Yeah. And, and, and across the southeast because yes. of my job. Yes. And I'm toiling, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm able to use the gifting and expertise and follow the, the desires of my vocational heart. Yeah. My job sucks. <laughs> How does that play into this? Yeah. Well, right at, this is Genesis 2 picture. Genesis 3 follows closely behind it. And here's one of the reasons that's such an important question. And, and one, of the, one of the realities about our cultural moment being late modern Western individualists is that when we say these truths, that my work is frustrating and difficult and not satisfying... Um, one thing that we say to each other in Christian community is, yeah, me too. And that's all we say. Because it's so uh, prevalent, right? But we, we haven't thought about work as a gift, right? And we haven't thought about all that God's achieving and doing through work. And in some cases... One reason a lot of us hate our work is we were more interested, we were discipled to care more about what it pays and the lifestyle that's purchasable with career X than we were taught to think that there might be work that's deeply satisfying to me and really beneficial to my neighbor. Now, that's a complicated reality because we live in a very broken, complicated world. And I, I don't want to like paper over it, make it super simple. But we were all discipled to, I mean, think about it. 
you know, if, if you can get if you can get this chair, you really need this chair for your house, and you can buy it for two dollars or two thousand dollars. We all know to pay two dollars for it, right? Uh, and that's not bad. But if you think about how that that kind of commodification has come internal to us, and we look at all of life through a grid of get the best value for the least amount of input, right? That's kind of how we're wired. Some of, there's wisdom in that, right? But it's not the only value that matters. And so one of the things we have to do is just back up. And, and it's very, very, very good to have spreadsheets that look at, certain, at particular bottom lines. But as God's people living in God's creation, we just got to wake up and realize there's a whole lot of bottom lines. Mm-hmm. There's not one bottom line. There's multiple bottom lines. And we need to love have our imaginations opened up so we see more bottom lines than one. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's two bucks because it was made at Foxconn. Say it again. It's two bucks because it was made at Foxconn in China by a four-year-old who's working 20 hours a day. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, uh, I have friends that only want to eat really, really, really cheap food. They haven't thought about the, the <clears throat> profound costs to their bodies, to public health, and to the to soil of cheap food, or to like people who are making the I mean, the products that we love that enhance our lives and increase our lifestyle. I mean, a lot of those products are made on the back of people that are pretty miserable. And so there's you know it's it's a complex world, and we have a lot of thinking to do. Um, but it's it's a, we're that we're who can do it. We, we're the people that can do it, <laughs> right? You know we're we're rescued. By grace and set free to think about these things. Yeah, Dave. If, if you've got kids, you can go ahead and be dismissed. They, oh, they get mad at me if, if we don't. Oh my gosh, seven seventeen. But so feel free, and if y'all want to ask more questions or talk to Robbie.